afternoon. My name is Katrina Peddle and I'm a lecturer in history at the University of Exeter. And I'd like to talk to you today about popular responses to the outbreak of the First World War in Britain, a subject that formed the basis of my PhD research and more recently my first book published with Oxford University Press. 2014 marks the opening of a series of centenary anniversaries relating to the First World War. And in my opinion, it provides a unique opportunity to rethink 1914. In particular, our understanding of how the population of the United Kingdom responded to the outbreak of the war. Well, why is this important? One of the most commonplace assumptions about the outbreak of the First World War has long been that people greeted it with a feverishly patriotic enthusiasm that drove males of military age to enlist in the hostilities. And this picture not only includes the belligerent populations of Germany, France, Austria-Hungary and Britain, but also public opinion in the British dominions, which is believed to have mirrored the pro-war mood of the metropolis. In Britain, the story goes that young men rallied to the war cry from Europe with a mixture of excitement and wide-eyed ignorance. There was no need for conscription because men were like lemmings engaged in a collective rendezvous with death beating down the doors of recruitment offices to fight in the war to end all wars. I think these images of flag-waving crowds, queues forming outside recruitment offices and young men marching with toy rifles are familiar to many of us. They're certainly common in traditional British histories. And these images have been compounded by their representation and repetition in popular cultural outputs such as Blackadder Goes Forth, Warhorse and Downton Abbey, where the population of the United Kingdom are portrayed as feverishly enthusiastic for war, encapsulated vividly by the 850,000 men who volunteer, volunteered to serve in the army by December 1914. However, more recent studies have tended to undermine this picture. Researchers such as myself have suggested that the general reaction to war was more nuanced and complex than previously assumed. Popular attitudes to the outbreak of war were rather more varied, complex and nuanced than traditional accounts have depicted. Instead, populations, including those in Nationalist Ireland, greeted the war with a mixture of shock, grief, excitement, anxiety and fear. Feelings changed on an hour-by-hour, day-by-day basis, and multiple feelings were experienced simultaneously. A strong sense that Britain's cause was just, compounded by the miserable atrocities in Belgium and France committed at the hands of the advancing German army, resulted in a stoic determination to fight, no matter what the cost for victory. In other words, the task ahead was dutifully accepted rather than enthusiastically embraced. On the 4th of August 1914, Britain did not have an army capable of fighting a major conflict on the continent. The regular British army, excluding reservists, consisted of just over 247,000 officers and men, about one third of which were in India. Given the deeply ingrained British hostility to conscription, as the National Service Movement had discovered in the years since the South African War, voluntary recruitment, just as in the earlier conflict, was the only source from which an expansion of military numbers could come. After Britain entered the war, British men volunteered for military service at a rate never before seen in its history. By December 1914, more than one million men had enlisted. 
By the end of 1915, more than 2.5 million had joined. In the event, the United Kingdom mobilised over 5 million men during the First World War, approximately 22.1% of the male population of the United Kingdom, half of them by volunteering and half by compulsion, once conscription had reluctantly been introduced in Britain, but not Ireland, in the first half of 1916. Some 15% of all enlistment in Britain took place in the first two months of the war. But contrary to popular understanding, the first rush was not immediate. In fact, it can be pinpointed to the period 25th of August to the 15th of September 1914. Even more specific than that, it was between the 30th of August and the 5th of September when almost 175,000 men enlisted, the largest number for any week in the war. Up to that point, weekly national returns had been much lower. For example, up to the 15th of August, only around 51,500 men had enlisted. Now, there are external factors that help explain the lower levels of recruiting in the first few weeks of the war. Most importantly, the existing enlistment machinery could not cope. There was much initial confusion, not least amongst would-be recruiters, and nearly complete chaos reigned in 1914 and most of 1915 as the system transformed into a modern organisation of manpower. Examples were cited of men who had waited all day at recruiting offices returning home unaccepted simply because there were no doctors to examine them. Similar experiences were reported up and down the country as the army's administration sagged under the weight of volunteers. Secondly, many thought that the Secretary of State for War, Lord Kitchener's call for 100,000 men, was the total sum required. It was not until the 28th of August that Kitchener... Ah, gone wrong. Secondly, many thought that the Secretary of State for War, Lord Kitchener's call for 100,000 men, was the total sum required. It was announced on the 25th of August that the first 100,000 had almost been secured. It was not until the 28th of August that Kitchener appealed for a further 100,000 men, giving a further boost to recruitment. Thirdly, in the early weeks of the war, age and height regulations were carefully adhered to, and the medical examination was relatively thorough, leading to a high number of rejections that distorts volunteering or willingness and enlistment final result statistics. Finally, there was much concern and confusion in the early weeks of the war over pay and allowances, especially for married men. During August 1914, separation allowances were still paid monthly in arrears, and it was not announced until the 28th of August that they would definitely be paid to new recruits. However, another less considered reason for the qualified picture of recruiting at the outset of the war is the process by which contemporaries turned their shock at the outbreak of war into the major step of joining the armed forces, with huge potential consequences for their personal lives, families and careers. Despite traditional images of patriotic crowds clamouring to enlist, the recruitment statistics in Britain suggest that men and their families took time to come to terms with the outbreak of the war and what their contribution would be. An example that stays in my mind are two brothers in Glasgow who tossed a coin 
to see who would enlist and who would stay at home to look after the family business. It was the brother who lost the bet who was the one that would enlist. Men sought approval from their families and were not always met with an encouraging reply. Many letters exist from soldiers to their mothers or partners asking them to be brave and not downhearted, highlighting the negative impact enlisting had on those who remained at home. Some mothers even tried to stop their sons from enlisting, arousing the concerns of General Campbell, the head of the recruiting department at the War Office in December 1914. For many, the decision-making process involved the settling of familial or business commitments or securing post-war employment. Regardless of the reason, the evidence suggests that many men were processing the news of the war and what it would involve before reaching a point of acceptance that led them to volunteer. Reaching that point of acceptance was, for many, accelerated by the events in late August 1914. During the first three weeks of war, British people received little bad military news from official sources such as the press. However, by late August, disturbing information about events in France and Belgium began to appear. On the 25th of August, the government issued the Belgian official report, which summarised German actions in Belgium and recounted the wave of atrocities against civilians, shortly followed by the publication of the Mons Dispatch in the Times on the same day. Arthur Moore of the Times, who was with the British forces, wrote a depressing account of the British expeditionary force in retreat, describing the terrible losses suffered by the British Army. It ended with a stark appeal for more men to join up. The article had an instant effect. Over the next four days, more than 10,000 men enlisted. By the 31st of August, daily enlistment topped 20,000. And on the 3rd of September, over 33,000 men joined the army, the highest enlistment for any day in the war. The surge continued in the second week of September, when over 136,000 men enlisted. As David Silvey points out, recruiting figures jumped first in London, where the Times was published, then spread outward to the rest of the country. The next day, as the papers around the country reprinted the article, the London share of enlistees dropped to around 13% and averaged 11% for the following week. Thus, far from signing up in an initial burst of enthusiasm, the largest single component of volunteers enlisted at precisely the moment the war turned serious. Without volunteers, Britain could never have fulfilled its military commitment to the Allies and its own defence. The fundamental originality of the United Kingdom's war effort, unlike the Continental Powers or Britain in the Second World War, was that it consisted of a mass volunteer army in the first half of the war. The experience of volunteering did not only concern men. Women encouraged men to enlist and sometimes sought to restrain them. They agonised over the decision of their husband, son, father, brother, fiancé, and endured the pain of separation. Children too felt the loss of their adult menfolk, whether father, brother or teacher. The motives of the volunteers cannot be summarised in the monolithic term enthusiastic, any more than it can be put down to economic constraint or opportunism. The reality was much more complex. It was grounded in the men's perceptions of the national cause, the nature of the enemy, and the necessities of modern warfare. It was also rooted in the geography and social makeup of many of the communities that these men came from. The forthcoming centenaries provide an excellent opportunity to question commonly held assumptions about the First World War.
The so-called rush of volunteers in 1914 and the common conclusion that this was tantamount to a naively enthusiastic response to the outbreak of war can be challenged by a closer look at the evidence. In particular, the chronology of recruitment statistics held up alongside events on the Western Front and in the domestic sphere. As well as an examination of the personal papers where they exist, of the men who enlisted and those of their families. It is only these careful microscopic encounters with the evidence that will allow for sweeping generalisations to be dismantled and for future generations to develop a more complex and nuanced understanding of the war. Thank you.